Welcome to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. This is Brian Kletter, the creator and host of the podcast. You can engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought or at Counterthought CEO and on our Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast. For audio versions of the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And for video versions of the podcast, join us on YouTube at the Counterthought channel. Let's go. We just finished celebrating our nation's independence. However, politics has permeated everything. Will our country survive today's political climate? Welcome to another episode of Counterthought. Just wrapped up Independence Day, celebrating with family, friends, however you celebrated, maybe with a barbecue, hopefully fireworks, whether your own or whether you got together with a city event or something, you know, in your town or your neighbors, what have you. Myself and my family, we went down to our complex's um, pool area, which backs up to a lake. And there are numerous houses also on that lake. And we were able to watch not only our own community's firework display, but also our neighbor's firework display, you know, and blasting some patriotic music through the Bluetooth and just sitting there and enjoying our country. However, polls that came out this week right after Independence Day say that America's patriotism is is waning and it seems to be split across party lines. Republicans tend to be more patriotic than Democrats and Democrats are less patriotic. And and that's sad because that is dwindling as time goes by. You can see the division over the past eight to 10 years in this country, especially over the past two, three to four years, just continue to, to grow. Politics is in everything. Politics is in our sports, which seem to be untouchable. It seemed to be left alone. Politics is all over social media. Politics is found in your movies and your TV shows. You know, we recently had Top Gun come out, Top Gun Maverick, you know, a big thrust of patriotism. But then you listen to the president of the United States and his Independence Day speech. And where was that rah-rah for our country? It was just kind of like, oh, you know, a ho-hum speech, nothing really truly to celebrate. And when he did talk about, you know, like our, our country's greatness or talked about maybe some things right now that are going on that does, that he doesn't consider to be too great for our country. And I can think we can agree that, you know, things aren't as perfect as they could be. He was just general, you know, no, not calling out anything specific for the good or the bad. Politics is even permeated in our businesses, our businesses, even our banking, <laughs> our banking. Yes, I said that correctly. Our banking. I heard this, I heard this um, a story last week talking about a bank responded to one of their account holders tweets to like their support their support desk or something like that. And the bank responded. They did not agree with with what was said, and this was something political in in nature, I believe. And the bank responded with, hey, well, if you don't, if you feel that way, 
you know, that is not in line with our values. So what we are going to do is we would ask you to close your account and take your money elsewhere. A bank, a bank telling you to take your money elsewhere. And then also our education system that has been at the forefront over the past year to two years. You know, the, the way that politics has just entrenched itself within our education system. We saw that during the pandemic, we saw, you know, Randy Weingarten, who's the leader of one of the two largest teachers unions say, oh, yes, you know, we want the students to be in the classroom. We want the students to be in the classroom, but also we want everything for our teachers. And then when they got everything, she continued to say, oh, well, you know, yeah, well, we're, we're not quite ready yet, but yes, we, we care about the children. And it was all politics. It was all, it was like, it seemed like a game to her. And then of course, you know, it's as politicians change and leadership changes within your local community, the education system, unfortunately, your school boards also change. And we've seen that fight really, you know, the importance of it when it comes to our school board elections and local politics. As I said before, one of the things that was really revealed to me during this whole pandemic, and we've crossed the two-year mark, was how important your local politics and your state politics are. You know, all the federal politics gets the attention. You see stories and you hear about stories, read about stories, whatever, news involving the president of the United States the vice president of the United States, the State Department, you know, not much notoriety goes unless it's your local news for local and state. But based on our our government, the way it is set up, power is given to the states. And that is where, and that, or that is why, I should say, especially here in Florida, located in Orlando, Governor Ron DeSantis was able to do things going against what, you know, like the Biden administration wanted him to do and run Florida as he best saw fit along with the state legislature. So politics isn't everything. When I was growing up, I said right off the top, you know, politics, sports. I was or am, consumed with sports. Politics has taken a, a larger chunk of that pie since starting this podcast and even going back to, to 2016. But my life growing up, I mentioned this in the Father's Day episode, was sports. I played sports. I attended sporting events. All of my memories with, well, not all, but most of my memories with my dad growing up were centered around sports, whether it was uh, Florida Gator football games, maybe a couple of basketball games here and there. Um, the YMCA, going to the Youth Football League, um, Youth Baseball, you know, Babe Ruth Baseball. Everything was, was sports. Watching broadcasts, watching the NFL on Sundays or other college football games on Saturdays as a kid, as an adult, as a college student, as, as a young professional, as a father, you know, sports. Sports are a way for me to, to unwind, you know, just kind of chill, mellow out, watch athletes do their thing, right? You know, not worried about what the president said earlier today, what was done last week, you know, nothing like that. Sports was a way for everyone to to come together. And then the patriotism that centered around sports 
you know, you got the national anthem. Some places also say the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, if you're wearing a hat, you take your hat, you put your hand over your heart. If you serve, you know, you maybe stand and salute during the um, the national anthem. You even have flyovers. And to this day, you still have flyovers, which is great and all that. There is still a patriotism there. Some of it seems like forced because you, the leagues like the NFL or what have you, they do certain things that are like, oh, well, you know, you're just, you're just going woke. You're kind of, you're placating to the minority because you don't want to, you know, be chastised by those same individuals. You know, you're, you're running scared. And then the next week it's like, oh, well, it's, it's veterans day weekend. So we're going to be all patriotic, you know, but sports was just a way for everyone to come together. I never once had a thought when I was attending, you know, a football game thinking, you know, this guy, this new person over here at our tailgate, you know, I wonder what his politics are. That never crossed my mind. It was, you know, we're both fans, Florida Gators, right? Awesome. Baseball game, maybe up in Atlanta. Never once thought about the person next to me. Hey, I wonder what their their politics are. But now these sports leagues, they have taken it upon themselves to be like, hey, you know what? We're going to chime in on this. We feel like you want to hear what we think. So we're going to weigh in on this. And the perfect example of one of the most recent examples was the All-Star game that was supposed to be be played in Atlanta last year. The Atlanta Braves. Hank Aaron passed away earlier in the year in, in 2021. And it was one of the ways to commemorate Hank Aaron. It was supposed to be part of that whole All-Star weekend celebration. And then Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred gets involved and says, hey, you know, state of Georgia, we don't like this new voting law. So as punishment for that, we're going to take the All-Star game away from Atlanta and they moved it to Denver, which has which which has even like even stricter voting requirements that they were getting onto to Georgia for. I still haven't heard an apology from Major League Baseball and then you have the NBA, you know, they going back to the summer of 2020, they were and even through 2021, I believe, they had a, under the baseline for both ends of the court, you know, some type of some type of slogan like you know, end racism or Black Lives Matter. And then the NBA saw that viewership, you know, decreased. And Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, was like, Yeah, well, next season we're not we're not doing that. You know, we're gonna take that stuff off the court. And the NFL had things along the the out of bounds lines in the back of the end zones and, and so on and so forth, similar things. But sports used to just be where you could go and you could hang out with, you know, your 70, 80, 90,000 closest friends. It didn't matter what you believed about politics, but then politics has now just injected itself into sports, which used to be like a, a refuge, a way to escape your daily life. It was, it was a place for enjoyment and celebration, but that's not really the case anymore. And it's, and it sucks for lack lack of a better term, right? It sucks. Everyone, even athletes, the individual athletes are wanting to speak their mind and use their platform. And, and one of the ways in which one of the topics in which they talk about is politics or social justices or injustices, right? That did not used to be the case. And I am 
one who would prefer it to be that way today that, you know, you just, it's not this shut up and dribble mentality. It's not that at all. It's, Hey, you are an employee of this team. This team belongs to the NBA. So when you are on the job, when you are playing the game, play the game. You know, don't, I mean, you can use your platform off, but on the court, in the arena, under the umbrella of the NBA, let's, let's keep politics out. Do things for your local community. Yeah, that, that's fine. Like, you know, each team has things going on in their local community, outreach programs and so on. Fantastic. But when the lights are on and you're in the arena or you're on the field, you're in the ballpark. That's not what I want to see. I just want to watch the game. Enjoy the spectacle, the entertainment value of these college and professional sporting events. But politics hasn't stopped there. It gets into businesses and it's all over social media. You have corporations going back to the All-Star Game example in, in Atlanta, Georgia. You had Coca-Cola and Delta. Both, both of their you know, corporate offices are located there. That's where their corporate headquarters are. And they were sounding off as well. And there's like a, a method to this, which I'll get to in a second. And I think why these corporations are, are speaking up and speaking out and injecting themselves into the political fray. But your social media accounts, it used to be, you know, I'm old enough to remember, right? I'm this, I'm, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Facebook first came out. I started high school, summer 2004. You know, fall of 2004 is when I joined Facebook at some point, I think maybe the 10 year anniversary or something like that. Maybe the five year anniversary Facebook came out with this, you know, Hey, you can get your number, basically your, the number user account that you, that you had. And I was part of the first million on Facebook, maybe even lower than that because Facebook used to be, you know, when it was first created, or maybe you don't know, depending on on how old you are, but Facebook used to be that you had to have an email address, a school email address. And it first started out, it had to be like a four-year school. And then I think they let community colleges join. And then eventually they opened it up to, to everyone who you know had an email address. And that's when it just grew exponentially. But it used to be, you know, limited to like the four-year school. So, you know, at ufl.edu, at whatever state school, whatever private school, you know, .edu was like the, the domain they were basically looking for. But today, like, and I made this conscious decision with this podcast, I joined Instagram prior to this podcast. I knew that I was going to need to use Instagram to help grow this podcast. And when I first joined, I was using just my personal Instagram account. And some people you know, once they made a transition, if they're getting into, you know, politics, whether it's through a podcast or something else, they just made a seamless transition and said, you know, Hey, I don't, I don't care what kind of pushback I get from friends. I'm going to take my personal account and I'm going to flip it and primarily use it for, you know, whatever I'm doing regarding politics or cultural topics and, and all in the like. But for me, I decided to do a different route. I initially you know, tried to switch my personal account to, to politics. And 
I got this pushback from certain people and, and I just didn't want to deal with that. So what did I do? I created my Counterthought CEO account. And that is like my personal podcast account or my personal professional account is another way I refer to it. But that way everyone knows, hey, politics CEO, this is me, Brian Clutter, Counterthought Counterthought CEO, it's everything that's coming from that account is going to be like more personal takes, but under the umbrella of the podcast. And then I have the obviously the Counterthought official account, and that is, you know, where I post the things about different all the new episodes and the Counterthought rundown and everything else in uh, certain lives. So I chose to to not use my personal account for politics for this podcast but some people don't and other people who don't even really dabble in politics or i mean that like that's not their main thing they'll use their accounts now to sound off about something that's going on regarding politics so you can't like you can't escape it anymore on social media you know you could just be scrolling through and be like oh yeah here's my friend oh look they posted some pictures let me click on their account and see what they've been up to lately oh politics take here oh politics take there you know and it's and it's just dirtied up it's money up social media in my opinion like i don't want to see that from personal accounts but you know everyone has the right to to say what they want within the limits of these social media platforms and again politics is in everything so it seems like you cannot escape it everyone wants to or a lot of people want to voice their opinion on what is going on in in politics in our society and in culture and then in TV and movies, that has been a very popular topic of late. More and more, or maybe now less and less, hopefully, fingers crossed, but there was a shift over the last two, three, four, five, six years, maybe more, where Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Hollywood in general, the big, the big studios were shifting or slanting their their content, the plots of the movie, the characters within movies, characters within TV shows, plots of TV shows, to include more, uh, lack of a better term, woke, woke ideologies, woke stances, um, more things related to culture and society and, and politics, even late night TV shows, those used to actually be funny. You know, the, the host would start with a stand-up routine and it was just about anything and everything. You know, everything was fair game. But now it's, you got like the Colbert show and um, Jimmy Kimmel and theirs is all political. The Daily Show, the same. Jimmy Fallon is probably the one who puts his toe into like, you know, political jokes the least, thankfully. But you saw this shift where, you know, whether it was having characters that were LGBTQ or, you know, more gay couples or what have you, everything was being slanted. You have different movies or TV shows that are all about like a, a social injustice or something like that. So it just, it just seemed like a switch was flipped and you have seen people, especially Disney going head to head with um, Ron DeSantis here in Florida You've seen people turn away from this most recent release of the Lightyear movie. 
right? You saw Top Gun Maverick already hit a billion dollars, I believe, worldwide. And then Lightyear basically did like a face plant. I think it was, I think it only brought in about 50 million on his first weekend, which was well below expectations. And, you know, there's the thought is that, well, maybe that's because there is this lesbian kiss somewhere in the movie. And also they decided to move away from Tim Allen, who is the iconic voice of, of Buzz Lightyear. And some people say, or a lot of people believe that that is because, you know, he's, he's an open, open Republican, right? Even his TV show, Last Man Standing, the rumor is that um, Mandy, one of his daughters, after I think she was in maybe the first three or four seasons, actually decided to leave or wasn't brought back or didn't want to come back because she's like this, this open liberal. And the, like the chemistry just couldn't be there. There was too much, you know, friction on set or she just couldn't get behind, you know, the, couldn't get behind the aspect of last man standing where, you know, there's different political references within there. Um, especially when he does, Tim Allen would do his, his vlogs within the, within each episode. And a lot of those had some type of, you know, political slant, political slant to the right. So politics has taken over social media. It's taken over sports, especially professional sports. It's taken over businesses. Businesses seem like they have to speak out against something, whether it has, whether or not it has anything to do with their industry. I talked about banking. I gave you that example. It's in Hollywood, TVs and movies and our education system. So how did we get here? How did we go from, I mean, again, I grew up, I was born in the eighties. My childhood was the nineties. It was not like this earlier than the nineties, the eighties, the seventies, sixties going back. It was, it was not like this. So how did we allow politics to just permeate everything to inject itself within everything again? And to my opinion, it has not made things better it's made things worse it's made things worse so how did we did we get here well like i said with with social media you can say within the rules of the platform you can say anything so it seems like with social media because people can are hidden behind a screen or you know maybe they want to do like a, a live or record a video and post something but when it comes to the characters, 140, 160, 240, whatever platform you are on, you can say, we just put whatever you want out there, right? And, and just be confident in it and hit enter and boom, there it goes. Whether that's on Facebook, Instagram, you know, um, I'm not sure. I don't think you really do too much on Pinterest, but Twitter and all these other different social media platforms, like you can just post it and boom, it's out there. And you can find like-minded people, you know, so you can be like, oh, well, you know, I know people are going to like this or, you know, hey, I don't really care what people think. Maybe that's, that's you, 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 you don't care what people think and, and good on you. So you're just going to put whatever your thoughts and opinions are out there or share whatever you want to share. But then also social media, you, that's just, you can do it instantaneously. But before social media, you what do you have to do if you want to communicate with somebody? You could write a letter. You had to walk down to their house. You had to drive to their house. You had to call them 
on the phone. You had to talk face to face. So maybe you didn't really know the political opinions of your friends or your family or your coworkers or other acquaintances because there was more effort to communicate with them. And then when you did communicate, you were probably too busy catching up on just normal life. And unless you were having a sit down, you know, face to face, hanging out at their house or meeting for lunch or coffee or dinner, something like that, you probably didn't get into a political discussion. But social media, you can just rapid fire shoot messages back and forth. You can video call someone through, you know, the development of technology and everything else. And it's just boom, you can communicate so much faster, so much more easily. So I think that's part of it when politics, you just, there's just more exposure and more ability to get your thoughts and your opinions out there just because communication is so much faster. And then companies, there's this, I've heard this said by Ben Shapiro a lot. I forget the name that he uses. He wrote about it in one of his more, more recent books, but the reason why companies, his belief, and I, I agree with him, are sounding off about things that have nothing to do with them is because what you'll have is you'll have media, you know, not like not social media, but actual media, the journalists, reporters, they will, if something happens, you know, culturally, something like cultural, whatever, most recently, you know, the overturning of, of Roe v. Wade or, you know, something else like that, what they'll do is the media will start calling companies. You know, they don't do just small companies. They go for the big companies, right? They basically just go down there, the Fortune 100 or the Fortune 500 list and start calling these companies or different sports leagues and, and what have you, different organizations. And this is what they'll do. They'll call them up, say, hey, yeah, you know, hey, Roe v. Wade was just, was just overturned. What are your thoughts about that? And they're calling like Coke, right? <laughs> Coca-Cola or they're they're calling Amazon or they're calling Disney and you know all these top companies they're calling some airline and what they're doing is they are going to continue to call and they want these companies to be like well dang we got to we got to say something because we're just getting all these calls and yeah this has nothing to do with anything but we have employees and that's like the way these um these journalists or reporters are trying to to tie it in and make it feel like these companies have to say something it's because like oh well you know well well, you have, you have black employees. So, so what do you think about George Floyd in that case? Oh, well, you know, you have, you have employees who are female because we can now define a woman and they could become pregnant and they might possibly consider an abortion. So are you going to pay for your employees to the women who become pregnant, let's say they, they wanted an abortion, are you going to pay for their travel if they are not located in a state where they can, they can get an abortion? And these companies, they feel like, well, I mean, we got to say something. Otherwise, we're going to, it's going to look like we're intolerant. And that's the game that is played by these journalists, these reporters. They call up these companies, say, hey, I know you have employees. And yes, this might affect some of your employees. So what is your stance on this? Instead of most companies, instead of them saying, you know, like no comment, they're going to provide some type of statement because they definitely have a diversity, equity, and inclusion 
department within their company. That's for sure, especially if you're on the Fortune Fortune 100 or 500 list. That is for sure. You have that. And these journalists and reporters, they know this. So they're just going to keep asking you and asking you until you say something. And so you don't look intolerant or anything like that, or like you are being you know, prejudiced to one group over, over another or something like that. You're going to come up and out with a statement and it's release it. And you're going to err on the side of caution and you're going to take the advice of, of your HR department, your legal department. And that's exactly how they do it. So you have companies sounding off on things that have nothing to do with their company, but because they feel the pressure to do so, they end up making a statement about something. And then you're an employee who's like, well, you know, kind of like sitting there in the back of the room, like, Hey, I don't, I don't agree with that, but you know, but I see you've already made a statement before you considered probably the thoughts and the feelings of, of the other employees who, you know, who this doesn't really apply to or don't agree with the stance that you're taking, but okay. And you've seen a couple other companies now like Netflix, you know, they'll, they'll say, or, and I think Tesla is another one or, but they're like, Hey, you know, if you don't agree with our Twitter, since Musk is trying to purchase that, but not, not pre Musk, but post Musk saying like, Hey, you know, if you don't agree with what's going on here, you know, if you're just going to try to be some activist or a social justice warrior about things we do here, content that we create things that we support, then, you know, you can just go find work elsewhere, but that is few and far between. Most of these companies, these big corporations, they they acquiesce to the minority within their company, but it's the loudest voice. And then they end up making some kind of statement. And then then it ultimately, over time, it seems to become, well, you go woke and you go broke because you are going to lose shareholders, which you know were not consulted or surveyed or anything before these statements are made. And these large corporations, they're publicly traded like on the New York Stock Exchange or something like that, or NASDAQ, what have you, they owe they owe it to their shareholders to do what is best for their shareholders. And when they don't do that, they lose memberships, they lose viewers, they lose you know consumers. And then ultimately they are feeling it in the pockets. So these companies are now realizing this and be like, wow, you know, this is actually affecting our bottom line. And they're starting to to speak up a little bit, but but not enough. And then politicians, how do we get to this level of division within our country? It goes back to politicians. Politicians are, they always speak in hyperbole, it seems like. You know, they use, they use this language that is meant to stir up your emotions and stir up an emotional response because if they don't stir up an emotional response, then you might actually think with logic and, and reason and realize, well, you know, that's that's not exactly what's happening or that's not exactly going to be the fallout to, to what just occurred. But the politicians, they like to use these, these trigger words, so to speak, you know, be like, oh, well, well, this is a threat on democracy. Everything is a threat on democracy. And yeah, sure, we we locked you down and and did these other things, but 
you know, now that things are opening back up or we're trying to restore something towards the Constitution, you know, it's a threat on democracy. And you got to you gotta fight to protect this country. Blah, 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 blah. And it's this like insightful language to be like, oh man, yeah, yeah, this is a big threat. Yeah, people, people are in danger. Yeah, women are in danger. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hate this and I'm gonna I'm gonna protest or I'm going to to riot, even though in my state I can I can go out and do the thing that I am protesting against, which might be outlawed in another state, but but for those people, you know, I stand up for for them, I stand up for for justice and stand against this injustice. And, you know, they get you all emotional because when you're emotional, you're not going to stop and think and be like, hmm, wait a second. I'm going to, I'm going to protest or damage, damage something within my own community. Abortion, for an example, you saw this. I'm going to damage these storefronts in a riotous protest against the overturning of Roe v. Wade in New York or in California where the state's law says that a, a woman can go get an abortion. This has overturning of Roe v. Wade has no effect on these women, but I'm going to riot and cause damage to my own community because that's what I need to do because I don't think with logic or reason. And politicians in the in the interest of being reelected, you know, they want to spread this this division. They want to spread this division based on identity politics. You know, this affects blacks, this affects Hispanics, this is, you know, white nationalism, this is replacement theory, you know, this is for poor people, this affects this is, you know, we're trying to get money from the the rich, the wealthy, you know, just you have, oh, you are, oh, you are poor and a minority. You climb up an extra rung on that victimhood ladder. Oh, and you're part LGBTQ community. Oh, you get to go up another rung. And this is the game that is played. It is, it is this climbing of the ladder of injustice of, of victimhood that a lot of politicians just spew out there because they want the division and they want to make it seem like they are standing up for in their mind, the least of these in order to get reelected, but they use division, you know, Democrat talking about Republican, everything Republican does is some type of threat to democracy. Republicans, for the most part, more level-headed. Let's talk about this. Let's have the conversation. Let's use logic and, and reason. But you don't get that from the other side. Nope. Not unless you're Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, right? Everyone else? You know, it's it's anything goes. I'm going to say anything and everything to get whatever I need to support me as the politician. Right to support the party, to sow some type of doubt, create some type of anger, some type of some form of distaste, distrust for the other side, in order to further the goals of the party and of myself. And also, politicians and the government is just 
everything seems to go to the federal level. You know, our, our government is set up to where anything that, anything that the, is not at the federal level is enumerated to the states. And it is up to the states and their state governments to set the laws and, and the rules of, of their land. But everything seems to, to be at the federal level. And I think that just, that just again creates this, this division, all the, everything that should be like a local and a state issue, the federal level has to sound off. So something that, that's going on in Florida is you got President Biden talking about it or something that's going on in Texas or Tennessee or something like that. And you, you know, oh, what's going on over there? You know, that's not something that should be happening. And it's like, uh, and I mean, this happens not just with the Biden administration. This goes back previous administrations, pre- previous presidencies. But it's like everything has to have a comment from from the president of the United States. Hey, do you like what's going on over there? No, I don't. Hey, do you like what's going on over there? No, I don't. And it's just everything gets elevated to this federal level, even though it needs to be certain things need to be left to the local and state level. Everything is nationalized. Even, I mean, even, (laughs) even elections, right? Campaigns, you have people contributing money and this gets into campaign finance laws, which I probably should do a future episode on because there needs to be reform to that. Like why, why should someone who lives and resides in another state be able to contribute money to an election of a senator or a representative granted on the federal level but why should someone in california be able to donate to a race that's going on in georgia or someone from new york donate also to that that same race like that's one thing i don't understand but that's where we are everything is is federal you can yell across the country so to speak about whatever is going on elsewhere and it just fuels this division you know it used to be where if something was going on in the state of Florida and California probably wouldn't hear about it. Washington state probably wouldn't hear about it, you know, but now again, social media and technology, you can hear about it and you can say something about it. And it just is another more opportunities to create this this division. And this division is leading to thoughts of, of a civil war is a civil war, something that could be, could be coming about. Could be a most recent polling shows that 40% of Americans believe that we are on a path to a civil war. I was having a conversation with my neighbor a week ago, you know, just hanging out. The kids were playing and politics came up. I forget what exactly was said, but, you know, my neighbor's comment was, oh, yeah, if, you know, since we're probably going to head to a civil war and, you know, maybe the family and I need they should move to to Australia now. Australia sounds great. Weather sounds great. You know, you got so much to do there, right? But may my neighbor may not have paid too close of attention to what was going on in Australia related to the to the pandemic and the police state that they had going on over there, which was like a totally different vibe than I expected for Australia. But I mean, that's what their prime minister was about. Um, but yeah, just like forty percent of Americans believe that the civil war is likely that we are headed down that path. So what would a civil war really look like? Can we be 
friends with one another? I pose this question on social media. I asked the question on TikTok and on Instagram saying, okay, well, can you be friends with someone that is complete opposite of your political beliefs, of your your values, your political values and everything? What do you want to see happen and what do you want to see the United States of America stand for? Some people said, yes, currently doing that. One of the users was talking, one of the um, followers of mine mentioned how they are engaged and their fiance has the complete, complete opposite, you know, political views as them. One's Republican, one's Democrat, or one's like a liberal Democrat. Like, you know, you get along fine. I was like, how, how do you do that? I'm like, oh, well, I guess our, you know, our love for each other is strong enough and politics isn't the only thing that we talk about. You know, there are other things to talk about and so on and so forth. So we make it work. Others are like, you know, I can't make that work. Or, hey, I tried to make that work for a certain length of time. And then, you know, I got cut out or maybe I cut a friend out. I'm kind of of the mindset where, yeah, we can be friends if we avoid the conversation. Like, But I'm willing to have something, a conversation regarding politics. But then once we talk about whatever issue it is we're talking about, if it looks like there isn't any movement from either one of us, my friend or I, you know, that for me, I'm not, I don't really want to talk about that subject anymore because then I'll just be hitting my head against the wall. So eventually after maybe exhausting the conversation around different, uh, different stances and, and ideologies within, you know, the, the political sphere that I hold and that my friend would hold, we're just, I'm just eventually going to want to avoid those conversations, but let it be known that I'm going to be working you know, in private behind the scenes, so to speak, silently trying to, you know, further what I believe and working in opposition to what my, my friend believes. But again, a lot of people who responded to my videos were saying like, you know, I tried to make it work, couldn't make it work. Others were like, yeah, we make it work. We just don't talk about politics. And I'm thinking, well, again, like I just said, yeah, that's probably the route I would take. Once I realize I'm hitting my head up against the wall, I'm going to avoid that conversation. So you know, the friendship is just going to develop separate from, from politics. But again, know that I'm going to be working to further what I believe for this country. And that's going to be in opposition to what, what my friend believes. But 40% of Americans believe that America is heading to a civil war. So what would that look like? What would that look like? Is that, does that mean violence? I don't think so. We, I mean, our civil war, right, 160 years ago, was violent. Very, very violent. But I don't think that would occur today. I think what you would see today is people are just going to move to the states that, granted, it could change with your governor and your state legislatures and and everything, but they're just going to move to states that they feel like fits their lifestyle, fits their ideologies. Blue states are going to become bluer. Red states are going to become redder. Patriotism, polls show, is split along party lines. Republicans tend to be <laughs> tend to be much more patriotic than Democrats of today. And I believe that shows like the the younger the Democrat, the less patriotic. But split along party lines, Republicans more patriotic, Democrats less patriotic. 
But I don't think there'll be violence. I think people will just move. And I want to show here up on the screen from move.org, and this is using census, uh, United States census information. But it shows in 2021 that a total of 27.1 million Americans moved, which was about 8.4%, which is lower than in most in most years, most decades. But I mean, again, we're still in the pandemic and everything else. So that's probably why that number is lower, but 27.1 million Americans. And that includes like the individuals within, within households. Notice here on this graphic, people's primary motivations for moving. 34% family reasons, marriage, relatives, 20% 20% moved for lifestyle preferences, 26 moved for 26% moved for career reasons, 20% for economic reasons. A lot of those can change, right? But there are certain states where, you know, the economy is is better or maybe taxes are higher or taxes are lower, state income tax, no state income tax, lifestyle preferences. You know, we saw a lot of that going on within with the response to COVID to the pandemic. However, look at the secondary reasons. The secondary reasons for moving kind of speak a little more to how people were feeling in 2021. 39% cited political reasons as as a secondary reason. 37% cited lower taxes. 38 climate change, I guess gets too hot, too cold. Eventually people move down to Florida. That's the joke I make, right? You know. If you move down to Florida because of the pandemic, you just sped up your own timeline because if you move from the Northeast, you're probably going to wind up here anyway. 45% cited lower living costs and 43% said a better culture. And that gets to what I believe is going to happen, or I think supports what I believe is going to happen. States right now that are blue are just going to become more blue. California, New York, Illinois going to become more blue. Red states are going to just become more and more red. I don't really know. There may be some purple states. Maybe. But I'm not entirely sure. I just think if a blue state fits your lifestyle and how you want to live and what you believe, that's where you're going to go. Red state, the same. So we're going to have these dark reds and these dark blues. And I think that's what we're going to see with this civil war. And then you'll have states become more, more distinct if, if it's kind of follows along the political ideologies, the, the platforms of the Democrat party and the Republican party as they are today. So going back to my original question and the title of this episode, will America be able to survive today's political climate? Can America survive the bluer blue states, the redder red states? I think so. I, I hope so. You know, I don't want to see any type of destruction of of America. I think the the framework of America, our constitution, would allow states to become more blue and states to become more red and still function as the United States of America. But let me know what you think. Do you believe that we are going to see bluer blue and and redder red. And if we do see that, do you believe that we will be able to function as the United States of America? We need 
to heal, that we need to come, the left needs to come back to the center. They have become way, way too radical, way too progressive. The fundamental flaw of progressivism, today's progressivism, is revealed each and every single day from the progressive left. They need to come back to the center. We need to grow in our shared patriotism for our country. When it is the 4th of July, our Independence Day, we should not be scrolling through your social media accounts and coming across people who are like, yeah, I'm not celebrating today because of X, Y, and Z. It should be, yes, we are America. Yes, we are great. Yes, we have done great things. Yes, we have done bad things, not so great things. But what America stands for, we should be celebrating. The independence that we have, we should be celebrating. I hope, I desperately hope that the patriotism within this country is not split up across party lines, that we will come together in our patriotism and through that patriotism work to actually improve America to be a better place and not head towards a civil war. Thank you for listening to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. Remember to subscribe and like or rate the podcast on your podcast app or on YouTube and engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought at CounterThought CEO or on Facebook at CounterThought Podcast.